Good evening, family. Let's get ready. Let's get started. Let's start off with praying to our Father. Father God, we thank you so much for today. It's beautiful out there. Yes. And sometimes we look and we can just see an awesome for your creation. We thank you. We thank you that you created us. And you made us not just to be here, but in your image. You gave us the breath of life. We thank you for that, Father. When we made mistakes and sinned, you gave us a way back through your Son. We're thankful for that. We can't thank you enough. Father, we pray that you be with us here tonight as we study your word. Just deep, deep into learning and understanding. We pray for your guidance. Father, we thank you so much especially for the grace through your Son. In his name we pray. Amen. <laughs> I did pretty good back there, right? <laughs> um, so, when we're, we're moving, moving now away, <clears throat> Jesus being the Good Shepherd, and what makes him extraordinary is that he has the role of sheep uh, as well. It's the connections in the Old Testament are pretty impressive that you you read about things where um, I'm thinking about Leviticus now, uh, chapter 16, where you have Azazel or escape. So they're the escape goat. And um, I, I believe that's about verse 8 uh, of Leviticus. Leviticus 16. And then there was the, the one that fell. So you had two lots. One lot fell for Azazel, they called it the escape goat. And one fell for the lot of God. And the lot of God was the one that would bear the sin. And to think that Jesus, you know, was teaching us way back in a Levitical priesthood what it, what it means to be one who dies in the place of, of others. And so one got away and meaning they, he was the scapegoat and the other one bore the sins of everyone else. In Isaiah he tells us that chapter 53 that the stroke was due us but Jesus took our place. He died in our stead. In, in what world is that fair? Right? You think about that. In, in what, you know, what, what was the way? Was there, was there a way to remove our sin? No. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 10 that, um, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. It's in verse 4. And so, it was, because of us, because of me in particular, that Jesus died on the cross. And what's amazing about that is, if you think about it, if there were no other humans on the earth except for me, in order for me to go to heaven, Jesus would still have had to die on the cross just to get me there. And the same for you. And so in reality, it's a, while on one hand we're, extremely thankful on the other hand 
the Bible could be depicted, while it's the most encouraging and blessed books in the world, the saddest book in history. Because God came down and died, not because He had to, but because He loved His creation so much that He took the place of the people to whom the stroke was due. So John 10 and verse 11 has this amazing sacrificial meaning to it. That when it, when it says, I am the good shepherd, and then he says that he lays down his life for the sheep. It's one of the, the humblest statements in the world. Because it, it sounds, um, it sounds easy, but it's, the definite article, the sheep, refers to, I don't even know what number to put on this, the trillions of humans that have ever lived on the face of the earth. Maybe it's, maybe it's billions, I, I don't know what that number is. That from the beginning of time until now, all time, there are billions of us now. The, the definite article, sheep, everybody. So it has this amazing meaning to it, deeper than it sounds, and yet so personal to where instead of saying the sheep, you could put your name in the place of the sheep and recognize that the Christ chose to lay his life down. Unlike Leviticus 16, where Azazel, these two goats, one was selected as a scapegoat, and the other one had no choice. In this case, Jesus had the option, the choice. And at any moment, in all that time that he lived on the face of the earth, or even from the days of eternity, God could have changed the plan at any moment, but he did not. And from the days of eternity, he chose to die in our stead, even before he made us. Because he knew that if he made us, we would be, maybe you say, no, just you, Tony. We would be so selfish that we would be willing to sacrifice Jesus for ourselves. And the Bible says in Hebrews 6 that Christ is crucified anew over and over again through willful disobedience of Christians. And so it's not just one sacrifice, although it is one actual sacrifice. The unappreciation Behind that sacrifice seems to happen over and over again because of the disobedience of humanity. First Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. This is what makes Jesus uh, 
you know, not only the, the, the good shepherd, but now rounding out of this topic to go to our next topic. He's more than ordinary, right? He's more than ordinary because he's not just the good shepherd. He's also the good sheep. He's the only, he's the only good sheep of all the sheep, but would become the sheep that bears the sins of all of the sheep. Verse seven, clean out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened, for Christ our Passover has been sacrificed. And what that means is when you think about the Passover lamb, Jesus' blood, if you will, if you will, from the idea of the Old Testament in Exodus 12, the blood of Jesus spilled back then for the Passover, right? Put the blood of the goat over the doorpost and the angel of death would do what? Would pass over that house because of that blood. Jesus is the reason that the wrath of God will pass over the children of God. It's just a very uh, deep and powerful idea when you think of Jesus being the good shepherd and the good sheep. Good in that he did all of this. Turn to 2 Corinthians 5. In verse uh, 21, he did all of this without sinning. If we were to take a poll, how many of us would admit that sometimes we sin unintentionally and other times we willfully sin? Right? Yeah. I'd raise my hand. I don't know about you. Could I have chosen to live my life sinlessly today? How would I be able, how is it possible? Think about this. How would it be possible to live today without sinning? What would we have to literally do? What do you think? What would we literally have to do to live without sinning? There's focus, right? Think of, you have, how many prayers would you have to echo? Throughout the day, right? You have to pray all without ceasing. Is that what it says? First, that's what it's fine. I mean, think about it. You pray and then work a little bit and then stop. Say a prayer. Lord, thank you. I'm doing all right, Lord. And then pray and then work a little more. Stay focused. Stay focused. Say, I'm thinking about Jesus. Have your Bible open right on your, at your, on your desk and pray and work a little more and then pray. And then the phone rings and pray and pray and wait till it's on the last ring and then pick it up, right? And then when you answer it, and, okay, it's not going to be a pleasant. Hang on one second. The call may not be pleasant. Got to pray again. Okay, yes. And what's going? On? Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. hang on. You got to pray again. I mean, it'd be right. Sounds silly, but isn't that what we would have to do? We would have to really tremendously stay focused and and ask God continuously throughout the day for His help. Why don't we do that? Right? Why don't we do that? Why don't we pray in the morning and then go and then pray for our lunch and then go and then pray for our dinner and then go and 
pray before we go to bed, why not pray throughout the hour, every hour of the day? Why not pray every 30 minutes? Why not pray without ceasing? Why not keep God as the number one focus in our heart? That's what Jesus did. He kept the Father uh, as the focus, the focal point of every step, every calculated step of his life. And in verse 21 it says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So that, so Jesus dies so that we, so that we. Now, here's what's interesting about the perfect sheep and the perfect shepherd. Trying to wrap our minds, wrap my mind around Hebrews 4 and Hebrews 2. It takes a lot. And we're not gonna, we're gonna go to Hebrews 2 right now. And then we're not gonna spend, um, a whole hour on, on that. But I want you to think about the, the power of Hebrews chapter 2. Because the good shepherd and the good sheep cares. And, and sometimes you can look on the website and uh, or websites and ask, you know, the question, does God care? And all these scriptures pop up. Yes, yes, we know that God cares. And But from a simplistic standpoint, Hebrews 2 is enough. Because listen to what it says in verse 14. Since then the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death that is the devil. So he, he took on flesh and blood which erases the thought in our minds well he doesn't understand. Who could we could we say that about Jesus? That he well he just he just doesn't understand. No, you, we can't because you know God's in heaven and God is not flesh and bone. Um, God is not does not have blood, but God came down and took on, if you will, the life of a man who had blood and 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 stared down the face of death, the thing that we fear the most. To render powerless Satan who had the power over us because of our fear. And stood up for us on our behalf to show us you don't have to be afraid. So he took on blood. But wasn't there, I mean, if you were just, if, think, if you were God for just a moment. And God said, okay, all right, all right. Brother James, you're going to be God for a moment. Now I want you to tell me, what do you think? Is this a pretty good idea? We're going to, we're going to die. Well, actually, James, you're going to die on a cross. And, um, you know, you think James Harris might say, is there another way? <laughs> I know I would have. I said, well, I mean, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, so send somebody else. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. Why didn't he choose another way? Right? I mean, 
That's what I'm trying to say. I want you to, I want you just in, in your, in your heart and in your understanding and falling in love with God, falling in love with Jesus, understand there was no other way. There was no other way. And, and, and God chose to take on flesh and blood to save us knowing the exclusion. And why did he die in that way? The, the worst way ever, right? Why not just live and then just, you know, I don't know, around age 22 or something, just die, right? No, that's not what he did. And then verse 15, and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all of their lives. He understands that we are slaves to this world. When it, think about that now. You're in the first century. The Roman guards knock on your door. Are y'all Christians in here? How many Christians do you think, reading historical books, jumped up and said, we're all children of God, children of the king? How many ran? How many in fear? Just, just cowered down. How many denied and disowned God at that very moment? The number is innumerable. Think about what happened at the cross. They came to get Jesus the night before the crucifixion. crucifixion. And what did the apostles do? They all ran. The fear of death is real, right? And it's not always necessarily the fear of dying for, for some, but it's the how, right? And they, knowing the Romans were um, skilled executioners, they knew how to make you suffer for as long as they wanted you to live through it. If they said to you that you're going to suffer for this one, you knew you were going to suffer inhumanely, terribly. And yet, this is what our Lord was willing to do for us. And he wants us to, to understand what it is that he did for us. That we might fall in love more and more with Jesus. Look at verse 16. Verse 16 says, For surely he does not give help to angels, but gives help to the descendants of Abraham. Well, why not angels? So, someone once asked, well, you know, I think I'd rather be an angel than be a human. No, they don't have grace, right? Because they don't live by faith. I mean, they see God. They're with God. There's no faith necessary. We, we don't, we have not seen God. We live by faith. All of God's people for all time have always lived by faith. Angels don't have to live by faith. They watch the creation based on the text. They know the power of God. They watched it. God doesn't help them. But he gives all this help to God's, to his people. So here's the shepherd who is the sheep, that dual role. The good shepherd, the good sheep who understands. So verse 17 is where I wanted us to get to. Therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things that he might become a merciful and a faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. What does that really mean? I mean that it's a loaded verse. And we can spend a lot of time on this verse. 
But what does it mean when it, when it mentions so that he? It's almost like referring to God. There should never be a so that verse. You know, God did this so that. Verse 17, he was made like us in every way or in all things so that. How does that even make sense? So that God will be merciful? Isn't God already merciful? See, this is where we get into trouble. We say, well, God knows all things. God can do anything, etc., etc. Well, no, there are some limitations that God binds himself by for the purpose of, 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 of salvation of humanity. And one of those things is that, that mercy is not complete without Jesus coming to the earth and feeling what we feel. And what we felt. And suffering the way that we suffer. So that when you think of mercy, he gives us mercy though we're not worthy of it. Right? So he lived without sin. So he could say, well, I did it. You could have too. But you see, he doesn't. Instead he says, I did it perfectly. Now he says, you did not. But I'm going to show you mercy. I died for you to live. And you're not paying attention to me. But I've been there. I'm going to show you mercy. Oh, wait. wait. I never sinned willfully because I've never sinned. I've been tempted in every way, in all points. Right? Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, those are proud of life. Tony, you gave in. And you didn't have to. You chose to. But, I'm, I'm gonna show you mercy. It's almost as if, if God showed us mercy without experiencing what we've experienced, it's not true mercy. Right? Mercy becomes deeper, if you will, when someone's walked in your shoes. That's different. They walked in your shoes. And you, and you let him down when you should have held him up. And, and I, and, and, and I let go of the rope that, that he pulled me up with. You know, I, I, we pulled the rope up and I went up first and then he said, okay, now you hold the rope so that I can get up. And, and then something came along the way and, and distracted me, whether it be a, a Roman guard or whomever it was. And I let the rope go. And I left him down. When, when he said, feed my sheep, I fed myself first, but not him. When, when he asked me to pray on behalf of the saints, I fell asleep. When, when Peter looked at Jesus behind the, the fence, and Peter could have said, yes, I'm with him, Peter let him down. And then he said, Peter, I'm going to show you mercy. It's a different meaning to the word mercy when Jesus says, I've walked in your place. I've walked in your steps. I've walked in your shoes. I know exactly what you are going through. It goes beyond empathy. Jesus can truly be sympathetic because he's been there in every way. 
which says to me in my walk of faith that God truly understands. And so, knowing that he understands carries a, a twofold connotation, if you will, or, or meaning behind it. Number one, he understands. He understands that I didn't have to do it. And then he understands why I did it. Right? He understands that I love him when I don't love him. <laughs> he understands when I phileo him and when I agapeo him. He understands the why in my mind and in my life because he's been there. He doesn't you know, allow for all the excuses that I might make, but he does say I understand. And he's a merciful God. Verse 18 says, For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. How many times has someone sinned against you and you said, that's enough. But Jesus comes to our aid, right? How many times have I done some really, I mean, the dumbest things ever? And he still came to my aid. How many times have I said, well, I'm not going to rescue them this time. No, I'm not going to help them this time. No way. But Jesus comes to their aid. Right? He, he, he mercifully, tenderly, and kindly cares for the sheep. Because he also is not only the good shepherd, but he's the good sheep. He's been there. When someone says, when you're talking to people and they feel hopeless, and they feel like they cannot go on, kindly remind them, Jesus has been in your shoes. Oh yeah, well show me in the Bible where Jesus has been, and you just go through, that's why you got to know your Bible. So you can show them, where Jesus has been in your shoes. Think about that. Think about what would have happened if if Jesus had given in and called the legion of angels and and they came and destroyed the world. How would he have felt? In regards to John 3.16. For Jesus so loved the world that he gave. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That Jesus loved the world so much. How would he have felt if he had done that? On this side of eternity. Look at chapter 4. Chapter 4. Verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize 
with our weaknesses. But one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. So what does that mean when you think about that verse? What does that mean in, in your relationship to God? What does that mean to you? I'm going to read, I'm going to open the floor up in a moment, but I want to read verse 16 first and then, and then come back to 15 again. Let us therefore draw near with confidence. So you, you couldn't have verse 15 If you didn't have verse 15, rather, you couldn't have verse 16. You could not, we could not have the audacity to come to God with confidence if it weren't for the explanation found in verses 14 and 15. So verse 16 says, Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we might receive mercy and may find grace to help in the time of need. And so all of that comes to this high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. So what is it that Jesus has to sympathize with in me? Right? Me personally. So how many times have have I said and thought, you know, I don't want to be the rock today. Right? I mean, you know, I know I'm not a Jesus rock, but you know, uh, a Peter Rock, a little stone. I don't want to be that today. I just don't feel like dealing with all this stuff today. You know, Jesus never said that. What if he did that? What if I were going to pray and say, Dear God, uh, I'm in trouble. Lord, here we go. Um, my wife, no, just kidding. <laughs> I figured you could relate to that. <laughs> Dear God, I'm in trouble. I need help. And God said, I'm not dealing with that today. I just don't want to deal with that today, Tony. But Lord, you don't understand. Oh no, I understand. I just don't feel like dealing with that today. What if he treated us that way? Think about that. Think about some of the trivial things that we come to God over. And also some of the things that might be considered um, by, by some. You say, well, that's, that's, that's a weakness that you have. And you say, I know, I've done it again. Dear God, no, I'm not dealing with that today. What would our Christian life be like if God didn't listen to us when we came to him in our weakest moments? Because he said, I'm tired of you living this way. And you said, Lord, I'm tired of living this way too. I desperately need you. And in my time of need, oh God, I need you. And God says, I'm not dealing with that today. You're on your own. Think about that. Instead, Over and over and over and over again, he sympathizes with us by saying, I've been in your shoes. I know where you are. I'm with you. What does that mean to you? How does that um, help you in your Christian walk, knowing that, that Jesus is with you no matter where you go. And when I, let me qualify that. If you've gone somewhere far away from God, He doesn't go with you, but when you come back and knock on the door, He opens it up and lets you in. Right? Remember Laodicea? I stand at the door and knock. Right? They had gone very, very far away in wickedness and evil, chasing out the riches and fame and all that stuff. 
But when, when they're ready to come back, Jesus says, I'm here waiting and willing and ready. What does that mean to you in your Christian walk of faith? What does that mean to you? With this idea of falling in love with Jesus. How could you not? How could you not love God? So, let's open the floor for a moment. And, um, and let's, talk, let's talk about just what does it mean to you to know that you truly do not have to do this alone. And that nothing that you'll go through is trivial to God. There's nothing that's too big. And there's nothing that's too small. Any comments? Okay. Let's move on. We're going to go to Luke in just a moment. Chapter 20. I want to to now try, try to start breaking down some of the reasons... That we can relate to Jesus. Okay. First reason I start off with is he has a man, he was a man of, of humility, humble beginnings. He wasn't. How many of us could relate to Jesus if he were a rich man? No, no, I couldn't. But he wasn't. He was a man who he said, you know, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man is nowhere. To lay his head. He, he began his ministry and ended his ministry in a, in a humble lifestyle or with a humble lifestyle. He had humble beginnings. He had trouble from infancy all the way throughout his life. I can relate to that. I can relate to trouble in my life. Some of it I did on my own and some of it was done to me. Some of it was just, it just happened. I'm just here. Jesus went through all of that. We can relate to Jesus because he was, he was not born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He didn't have it easy is what I'm saying. Right? Life wasn't easy. He didn't have, he didn't even live in our contemporary homes that we live in. Right? He had a very difficult life. We can relate to Jesus. Um, we're going to go to Luke 20. Because he was spiritually brilliant. He is a brilliant man. When you, when you look at the life of Jesus and the, the conversations that he had with, uh, with other people, he was just not only a cut above the rest, Jesus was brilliant. Luke 20 and verse 22 is where we'll begin. Because these are the days of, I'm in Luke 21, sorry. I didn't look right. There we go. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? We ask that every year, don't we? <laughs> what can I, what do I have to pay? What's, what are the rules? What are the laws? The laws change. You gotta find out the new laws. Taxes have been an issue from the beginning of time. Well, the days of Jesus will start there. Got to make sure we do it right. We want to do it right. The laws keep changing, though. It makes it difficult. But he detected their trickery and said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? And they said, Caesar's. 
And he said to them, Then render to Caesar things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they were unable to catch him in a saying in the presence of the people. And marveling at his answer, they became silent. It's a twofold idea in this passage. That there are some things that will forever belong to this world. To our government, to to our, you know, whomever we're, we're in debt to. Uh, there are some things that will forever belong to this world. And there are some things that will forever belong to God in our lives. There are, there are portions of our monies that belong to God. And there are portions of our monies that will forever belong to this world. And Jesus is so brilliant. And in his conversation, he never left God out as he dealt with what belonged to the world. Some things will forever belong to the world, and some things will forever belong to God. He answered the question about paying Caesar, while at the same time he reminded them of the answer that you have to pay God his due. And he did this over and over and over again. The messages that he presented to the world were so powerful that if you were listening, you, you were stand in astonishment and say, wow, Jesus could teach three, four lessons in one lesson. And even more than that, when we read the parables and all the things that he said. We can relate to Jesus because he was like greater than Barnabas, the encourager. I mean, when you are down, you pick the Bible up and you just start reading. He'll take away your problems. I mean, you either you either read so much that you get tired and you forget about your problem, or you read and you just find the answers to your problem. And and what Jesus continually does is push us to our highest good. And we don't always like that, though, right? We don't always like to be pushed to our highest good, but he he continually encourages us to do better. We can do better. Can we do better? Yeah, in our world today, we can do better. The whole law, in a nutshell, Matthew 7 and verse uh, 12, the whole law, in a nutshell, falls under what we call the, the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Whatever you want man to do for you, do also for them, for this is the law and the prophets. The whole law is summed up in that one phrase. That God is pushing us to our highest good, saying, we can do better. However you want people to treat you, treat them the same way. Now think about our walk of faith. If we practice that rule, and that became the number one guide in our lives, whatever you want people to do for you, so do for them. It would change everything for us. Yes. I'm you mentioning this because I, I think what's hard about the question that you asked, at least for me, at first, um, it's really hard to fathom that God, who created the heavens and the earth, the universe and everything in it and all of us, loves us and loved us so much that he sent Jesus, who is perfect and who who suffered when he didn't have to, right? Uh, at least that's in our human minds, we think he's God. He sh- shouldn't have to do that. And then what you read to us and what we read in Hebrews, 
uh, especially the last verse, giving us the reason why he did what he did. And then we don't, we don't want to do better sometimes because I want to be mad at you today. I want to be able to hold on to what I'm holding on to. But Jesus is telling us every time, you don't have to because I didn't do that for you. In fact, I did the opposite. And so can we really do this? And Jesus is saying, yes, I did. And I still do. We just have to get over ourselves. Mm -hmm. My thoughts. Appreciate that. He pushes us to our highest good, doesn't he? To our highest good. You know, and we can make this very personal, and we can make this very broad. And, you know, we could right now, we could say, okay, let's take a poll. Who's, you know, who's tired of these masks? All of us will raise our hand. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. I don't want to wear these masks anymore. Who's tired of COVID? Oh, I'm tired of it. Everybody's tired of it. We're done. God, we're done with this. Who's tired of serving? Who, who's tired of looking out for our fellow man? Who's tired of, of, of being the one who's willing to sacrifice for other people? He's always pushing us to our highest good. He's always saying, you can do better. Tony, you can do better. And I know it. Like, yes, Lord, I can do better. He's the great encourager. See, on one hand, it feels great to hear God say, Tony, you can do better. And on the other hand, sometimes I have to hold my head down and say, I'm really not giving God my best. Right? He's always pushing us to our, our highest good. Let me, let me run quickly before our time runs out. Um, what about being approachable? Isn't Jesus approachable? Right? Always approachable. God the Father wants us to pray continuously, but while Jesus was on the earth, he was very approachable. You could go to Jesus and talk to him about anything, and he would he talk to you. The woman at the well. He told me everything I've ever done. What else did they talk about? I don't know. But wow. Right? Matthew 11 and verse 19. I want to grab this one uh, quickly. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. Uh, and they say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax gatherers uh, and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. He was, he talked to everybody. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't, you know, um, I'm trying to think of the word now, but you know, he didn't deny contact with anyone. He talked to everybody. He's great. Just so friendly. He'd walk into this building and greet all of us. He wouldn't come in here and sit down. He'd go talk to everybody first. And then, time to sit down. He'd sit down. Time to go. Oh, let me make sure I talk to the folks I haven't had a chance to talk to. Don't let anyone leave without saying hi to them, brethren. You never know where you're going to meet them. You never know where they are. Right? We, I think Sunday we're talking about, we desperately need each other. He's very social. Um, he spent time around people that others didn't want to talk about. He spent time around other people's tables. He um, was very courageous. We love courageous people. He was a courageously spiritual uh, guide and faithful man. He was not afraid of the religious leaders of the day. I mean, what was right and what was right and what was wrong was wrong. And when there was oppression, he stood up for it. And he took whatever it was that was coming his way uh, to stand up for right for righteousness sake. He was compassionate, full of compassion and mercy and, and care and, and, and kindness. And he trusted the Father in everything. And he would say that to us tonight. I close with this thought. 
How much do you trust the Father? Jesus would say, give him everything that you have to offer. You can trust him. You can trust him. So tonight I'll leave you with that. Trust the Father with everything. And if you're not a Christian tonight and you would like to become one, to surrender to God in the waters of baptism, that opportunity will be here before you in just a moment. We'll have a, a short devotional and uh, the door is, is open wide. If you uh, would like prayers made on your behalf, you're struggling in your walk of faith, uh, tonight's a great night uh, to ask for prayers. If you're online, contact us uh, at our information that is on the screen. Whatever we can do for you, we will do the very best that we can. But God will do everything for you. Trust Him with everything. All of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, and all of your strength. God bless you. And thank you tonight for your time.